Good morning. We are going to be in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, if you want to turn there. The past several weeks, we've been talking about the subject of wisdom, and we've done it mostly out of Proverbs. What is wisdom? First week, we talked about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and what that meant. Last week, we looked at the theme of wisdom as a path in life. This week I'd like to examine the relationship between the law and wisdom. How does the law relate to wisdom? Or uh, how does the rule relate to wise advice? Um, Because, I mean, to be honest with you, the... The Old Testament, so Proverbs is deeply embedded in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those particular have an awful lot about the rule, how to live. They don't have a lot about wisdom. And then you get to Proverbs, and it has an awful lot about wisdom, and it has almost nothing about the law. Almost nothing. So how do they relate? Well, I think a starting point, if we just sort of look inside of us, we might say is, generally speaking, people don't like rules. Everybody wants a lawful society, but we don't really like rules. So we generally don't like people to tell us what to do. We would much prefer that someone would give us just some wise advice. I think of this as when I was a kid. Well, it's just true. Practically, it's as true now as it ever was, but a little bit more true as a kid. I did not want my parents to tell me that I had to... Here, we're going to arrange your schedule for you, your study schedule. You're going to come home. You're going to have your snack. You're going to watch He-Man and then G.I. Joe, and then you're going to get to work, right? I didn't want that as a kid. As a kid, you know, your parent... I wanted my parents to say, hey, you know, you got a big test coming up. Do you study? You should study for the test. Now, that's wisdom. That's advice. As a kid, I'd be like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. What ifs? You know, and then they might give me a little bit more advice down the way. You know, it's coming. Monday is coming. The big test is on Monday. I know already. I'll study all right. You know, don't, like, if you give me two helpings of wisdom, it starts to sound like a rule. But then invariably, you know, 10.30 Sunday night, I decide to start studying and I realize I've lost my, I left my textbook at school, right? You know, that was just, and then what ends up happening? Well, a good parent says, well, the path of wisdom has failed. So we're going to apply the path of rules. So you, here's a checklist on the fridge. And we end up down that road. Nobody wants to be there. But that's, you see how where wisdom and rule laws touch. It seems that the law rises where wisdom fails. Not that wisdom itself fails, where people fail. The law rises because of the fool. That's what appears to be the case. In fact, I find ironically, we live in a culture that is in some ways as lawless as ever. We don't want people to tell us what to do. But in the foolishness of our culture, everywhere we look, there's new rules and new policies coming down. Because we cannot trust one another to do the right thing. So 
a teacher in a school today is abiding by a boatload of more rules and policies than a teacher. It used to be, like a, t- a good teacher would say, can't I just teach? But actually, a good teacher teaches more poorly because of all the rules. And the rules are there because of so much bad teaching. A good doctor would say, can't I just practice? But a good doctor can't practice like a good doctor would want to practice because the foolishness of the practice. Do you see how wisdom and law touch? Law shows up where the fool starts. The fool is the reason for the law. Wisdom is always the best way. We're going to look in Proverbs today. Oh, I want to show you first before we go to Proverbs. I want to show you a passage from Deuteronomy. This is a great section. And we're going to, you're going to hear it echoed later on this morning. This is consummate, the consummate expression of the law. So in Deuteronomy 5, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. So the law is formally reintroduced in Deuteronomy 5 with a repetition of the Ten Commandments. And then he's going to say this. So it's before this reading that you see here. Moses is going to say, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all of the days of your life, that your days may be long. Do you hear statutes? commands, rules, this importance. And then this comes, and this is maybe one of the seminal passages of the Hebrew faith, okay? They, this is very, very well known. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you hear the high view of the law? Inscribe this law on your heart and everywhere you go. Doorposts, talk about this law when you rise and everywhere you go. Saturate your life with the law. Okay, this represents just the heart of the law and what we see What's interesting is we get to Proverbs and we don't see the word law. We don't even see the word covenant. I mean, covenant shows up one time in the book of Proverbs. The word law, I don't think, shows up at all in the book of Proverbs. Command doesn't hardly show up in the book of Proverbs. The word commandments, follow my commandments, shows up in Proverbs, but as a father to a son. Like, hey, son, do what I told you to do. Follow my teachings, but not really the law of God. The law of God doesn't, in fact, the name of God doesn't show up very often in the Proverbs. A lot of times it's, you know, balanced weights are good. Uh, don't abuse the poor. Um, be careful with wine. I mean, it's just very earthy. 
wisdom. So how do they connect? We're going to look in Proverbs 6, and we're going to walk through that chapter. And I will admit, my my main interest this morning is not Proverbs 6, it's how does the law and wisdom, how do they connect? So Proverbs 6 is a base, it's a place to start. And we're going to look at these, one of the reasons I like Proverbs 6 is it's so practical, it's just a very, very practical sort of teachings. Uh, but in it, I think we'll, uh, we'll see some things that are worth looking at. Now, there's about four or five examples of this practical teachings in Proverbs 6. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the teaching. Uh, well, we'll do this together. Let's look at the first five verses. This is the first teaching from Proverbs 6. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So, to give some time on the teaching, it seems that it's saying something like this. If you've leveraged your name or your reputation or your collateral, if you're financially bound and like to someone else unnecessarily, do what you can to get out of that. Do what you can to be free from that. Don't, you might, the do not might be implied that it would be wise not to financially entangle yourself into someone else's business. Something along those lines. Like if you've placed your reputation or your financial freedom in someone else's lap, get out of it. Seems to be the wisdom here. If you've obligated yourself unnecessarily, well, don't do that. Something like that is at work here. Several years back, uh, Joe Gibbs, the former coach of the Washington Redskins, came to speak in this area. He gave his testimony. And he, like many uh, professional athletes, uh, I just assumed was a super wealthy guy. And in his testimony, he shared that when he was uh, the Super Bowl winning coach of the Redskins in the first round, uh, he had gotten involved in a financial... He had friends in Texas who said, everybody's buying property in Oklahoma. It's the hot thing right now. I think I could have warned him about that one. But he bought all this, and I I might be getting the details wrong, but he bought all this land down in Oklahoma. And it all tanked. And all the investors were nowhere to be found, but he, it was his name and his money and his reputation that was driving the whole thing. And all all the rats had scurried out, and he was left holding the banknote. And he was bankrupt. And he said when he came back to coach the Redskins the second time, you would have thought, I mean, he's big-time coach, super successful coach. You would have thought he was, you know, rolling in the Benjamins. Uh, but he wasn't. He was on, he was on a bank-described budget. Literally, he and his wife were counting, you know, cutting out coupons and wondering if they could reduce their electric bill because the bank gave them 
this much money each month to spend and they kept all the rest. I think that's what this is talking about. Don't, if you found yourself caught in, get out. Okay, well, here's what I'm really interested in though. Did you notice there's really no law here? It's a great example of a very practical proverb. It's not really a law here. I mean, I would have to really, really think and maybe jump a couple of hoops and make a couple of kind of long guesses to connect this to some place in the Jewish Torah. This, this is just good earthly wisdom. I mean, you could say if there's a rule here, it's like a rule of thumb. It's not like a real rule. It's like a principle for life. Like someone might say to you, well, you really want to work hard to protect your good name or, uh, you know, make sure you, you see the end before the beginning. Make sure you follow it all the way down and know what's going to happen. Something like that. Let's look at another example here. Look at verses 6 through 11. This one's fun because it uses the word sluggard. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When you arise from your sleep, well, excuse me, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest in poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, I would say this is clearly not a law also. I mean, I cannot think of very many commandments from the Lord that speak directly into this teaching. In fact, this is not really, it's more like a look, not a law. Just look, you know, just like the reading was in worship today, how wisdom is sort of threaded and in, in, deep into creation, how wisdom was there when God was forming the earth. It's the father is saying to the son here, you can see the truth, the truth at this anthill. You know, just look at the anthill, son. It's sort of what's happening here. Watch, watch how when it's time to work, they work. Watch how the, the ant is aware of the season. It's an agricultural society. So I think it even lands more naturally with them because you can't just pick what day you want to plant. This was not planting season, by the way, which, strikingly, they planted our trees in the parking lot this week, I think. How is that going to work? But at any rate... This is not planting season, and you can't pick harvest season. If you decide when you want to plant, then you won't harvest. And if it's time to harvest and you don't harvest, it rots in the field. That's what the Father's saying. Father's saying, you need to understand when the time is to work and when the time is to rest, or it will catch you. And this is not a law. It's like a rule or a rule of thumb at the most, right? Maybe you could say, well, the Sabbath. But I would say, well, the Sabbath is about rest, not about work. I think it's pretty practical. You might say it this way. Why put off till tomorrow what you could do today? That's how today a parent might say to a child or if one friend might say to another or if you really work with a young child you would tell them the story of the three little pigs that's this 
That's this proverb working itself out, right? You don't want to fiddle your whole day away. Let's look at another one. Look at verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Now, this again is not, I would say, not only is this not a rule or a law, it's not even a teaching, it's just like more like an object lesson. You should recognize this person when you see them. My sense in my mind is, it's probably not that the, the writer of the proverb is trying to save their son from being this. It's probably more like, I want you to recognize this. Recognize the kind of person who, uh, he lives in the dark and he acts in the day. You see all the physicality, all of his tells? He's, he's like a poker player. He winks his eyes, he signals his feet, he points his fingers. It's like a father saying, learn this guy. There's more going on. Don't get caught. Again, um, the argument's coming from, from its absence, but where is this in the law? It's, it's just an object lesson. Here's the last, uh, well, the second to last one, but the last one we'll spend uh, too much time on, or much time on, for 16 and down. Now, this is the closest it gets to the law, by the way. And notice, this is the first time, really, the Lord's name is showing up in the passage. Verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that make haste to run to do evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, The six and seven thing, if you're caught on that, that's the way of adding emphasis. So that's kind of a strange way. I, I don't fully understand it, except it's a, it's a device. It's a literary device to sort of give emphasis to a teaching. Proverbs 30 is full of those, by the way. But here we do find something that sort of, kind of, feels like law. This is what God hates. Now notice, it's not a teaching like you shall not do this. So it's still not what we would say formal law with a statute and obey or you know, you know, do this or do not do this, right? With conditions and instructions and consequences. It's still not really law in the formal sense, but it is, it is similar to law in the sense that it's reflecting this is what God thinks about this. And this, this is about as close as the book of Proverbs gets to telling the law. One last reading. Now this last reading that I'm going to do is a long one. It would be the rest of the chapter, I suppose. And most of it is going to be about adultery or what you might more generally call sexual immorality. Um, There is, by the way, one complicated verse in this. It's verse 26. It says, For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. The writer is not saying, you should have gone to a prostitute. She was a lot cheaper, okay? 
It's an extremely difficult passage to translate, so the translators are not even entirely sure. But the holistic teaching, adulterous, prostitute, they're sort of the same concept, okay? So I think that teaching there is, you think, you think it's cheap, but it's going to cost you everything you have, okay? I think that's the heart of what's going on there. Um, so I'm going to read through the whole reading um, about the adulteress or the, or the prostitute, or really this is a teaching for the son to guard his own life, right? It's written to a young man, so it makes sense that the father's going to talk about this. But uh, my real interest is verses 20 through 23. Okay, that, so I'm going to read through. But we, if you remind ourselves, we're trying to understand how wisdom and law relate. Okay? Uh, so I'll just read it. But my son, this is verse 20, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Now just think, what does this sound like? Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes down into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught... He will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. I want to read a few more verses because it goes back. It's almost like it's bookended by this theme. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, if I'll just allow the teaching on sexual immorality to sit there and to do its own instruction, okay? And by the way, if, if you need more helpings of that, Proverbs 5 is about that and Proverbs 7 is about that, okay? So there's a real concern of this father to his son of how he's going to make his way in life as it relates to his sexuality, okay? And that's, that's put forth. But if our curiosity and our interest is in how Wisdom and the law relate. I find 20 through 23 very interesting because they, what do they sound like? I mean, we're in a wisdom book. We're talking about wisdom. We're not talking about the law of God. We're talking about the practical, earthly, on the street, how it feels, how the world works. We're not talking about the rules and the rule book and 
uh, thus says the Lord. We're not talking about any of that, but you get here, and all of a sudden, it sounds as though he's quoting Deuteronomy. Don't you hear it? Bind them on your hearts, tie them around your neck. Do you remember that? When you, when you rise, when you walk, when you go along, look at this, when you walk by the way, they'll lead you. I mean, the similarities are so striking that to think it's coincidence is almost absurd. Deuteronomy 6 being maybe the most well-known Jewish passage among Jews. You don't accidentally write this. And I even think if, if you know, if, if Solomon wrote this Well, Solomon's dad wrote Psalm 119, for your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. There is a way where we think we're talking about the law over here. You know, can I wear wool and cotton together? Am I allowed to eat crabs? Uh, Can I pick up sticks on the Sabbath? What are all these silly little rules? What about sacrifice? Why don't we do that anymore? Wait a second. They they married that person, but can that happen? Can I really not allowed to eat on that day? And and what do I do on the Sabbath? And how much is the real tithe? And when's the year of Jubilee? I mean, we have these this body of the law, which the church has by and large said, ah, yeah, yeah, we're we're beyond the law. Rest. We're beyond the law. You have that way over here, and then you have over here wisdom. You know, son, if you really want to make it work in life, you got to know. You got to know when you see the malicious man. You got to know how he moves and watch out. And hey, I just want you to know from what I've learned. I don't want you to get caught in debt. I don't want you to be indebted and financially tied up and entangled with something that's not your business. Be real careful and watch out. Let me teach you about your sexuality. There's there's these teachings, and sometimes they feel a mile apart. A mile apart. Good advice from. Honor the Sabbath. And here we find words like this almost bridge for me the true notion that the wisdom of God and the law of God are just about the same thing. They're really not that different. The truth is when mankind was created in a garden He only even had one rule. One rule. He was built to live. He was going to live just like God. He didn't need rules. There's one rule given, and that rule was to provide for a place of worship. That was to say that in all things, man and God are united in their one, except for this one notion that God made man. And that tree and that one rule was the way of recognizing that grand truth. He's God and I'm not. We started in the land of one rule. And then we end up in this huge body of, don't do this, don't do that. If we remind ourselves that in the ideal world, just think of your own sector and your own work and your own place with your own children or with your own parents, how how ideal it would be if we were just all wise. How well it would go. If you gave me wise advice and I went, thanks for the tip, and actually listened. You know, if my parents told me to study and I went, wow, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I'm prone to, I'm prone to relax too much. 
Thanks, Dad. You know, off to study. You know, if only life was that way. But we are foolish. And in our foolishness, we require law. So let me, I'm going to stop there, right? Uh, at least in Proverbs, okay? I want to lift out because I, I, I really want us to end sort of with the fullness of Christ in mind, right? Colossians, in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we get to the New Testament and we get to the talk of our Christian talk and we end up saying things like this. Well, aren't we free from the law now? Aren't we free from the law? Can't I just disregard the law? This is, now, I'm, now I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Spirit. Am I not free of the law? And I might suggest this. I might suggest when, when we talk about being full of the Spirit, I might suggest that is, that is where wisdom shows back up again. When you live by the Holy Spirit, you're living in the wisdom of God. In other words, when we live by the Holy Spirit, we are adopting the mind of God. That's, that's the goal. Here's a passage. This is Romans 12. We're very, pretty familiar with this passage uh, in the church. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is the verse I want you to pay attention to. Think of wisdom. And the Spirit, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see that? It says, because of the mercy of God, now we can give our whole lives to him. And we're not supposed to conform ourselves to the pattern of this world that you know, has their own views of right and wrong and is by the large lawless in its thinking, particularly as it relates to own personal behavior. I don't, we don't want rules. We don't want you to tell us what to do. He says, don't conform yourself to that. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you have God's mind about things. And when you have God's mind about things, do you need law? doesn't sound like you need law. When you have God's mind about things, you'll be able to understand his will, his good and perfect and pleasing will. There is in the life of the church a, a, an attitude. <clears throat> it is, uh, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm free from the law. And largely this has come because I think the law of the Old Testament has been received a lot of ridicule in recent years. You know, I have a, a friend of mine who uh, is a very humorous atheist, so he always teases me because I like to eat crab. Crab's against the law. So he says, you like to eat crab, and he jokes about how much of a hypocrite I am. You know, and I could say, well, I'm free from the law, but that doesn't seem to work for him. Uh, and I think one of the reasons it doesn't work for him is because it, if you don't understand what the law was trying to say in the first place, it does sound foolish. Next thing he says, you're going to wear wool and cotton together. The next thing you guys are going to head into the sexual ethic of the Old Testament and go, well, now, why do you say that's true when this isn't true? You feel that? I certainly can't be the only person who wrestles with conversations this way or, 
or in my own sense, right? When you read the Old Testament, and here's the sexual ethic of the Old Testament, how I'm supposed to treat myself, my body, and the bodies of other people. And I go, and that holds rigorous and strong and stands in the church. And it never, that, that tree grows straight up to heaven and never bends one way or the other. And yet all around are these lesser laws, like you don't sacrifice anymore, do you? He would say, and you eat crab, don't you? And you wear wool and cotton, and well, on the Sabbath, did you pick anything up, he would say. Anything at all. Laughing all the while. Uh, How do we sort through that? If we're just a church that says we're free from the law. What does that do with that? This is the challenge. This is what I want to challenge you with. If we remind ourselves, right, the perfect way would be the way of wisdom. Don't you wish, I'm just going to talk to the parents in the room, don't you wish you had a son or daughter so obedient you never had to give them a rule? Wouldn't that be nice? It may be impossible for you to imagine. But imagine from their inception being like, Dad, why do you do that? I go, well, I get up early and go to work and I, I give a good answer and be like, Thanks, Dad. Go off and do it. I just want us to understand the supremacy of wisdom over the law. The supremacy of the guidance of the Spirit over the law. That to those who are chasing after the Lord, there's, they, have, they have a superior understanding than the law can provide. But, Our hearts are hard, so we don't live there, and so God has given us law. But when the church says it's free from the law, and it's never taken time to understand the law, that's why I think that's a dangerous position. Someone who's serious and is wise should be, true wisdom should be able to look at what the law was trying to do, understand what the law was trying to do, affirm what the law was trying to do, and live better than the law in the Spirit. That is what it should look like. And this is what it sounds like. I'll give you an example of what it sounds like. Jesus uh, sees somebody on the Sabbath who's hurting, and he heals them on the Sabbath. And everybody goes, whoa, you broke the Sabbath. You broke the rule. You broke the law. Jesus, you broke the law, right? If they open up their filing cabinet of Torah law, and they look at section 8, paragraph 4, subsection 3b, they'd find something in there, a specific law about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath as it relates to someone who's injured within 100 meters of your home. Okay? And they'd say, you, sir, violated the law. That's the, this is the nature of the inferiority of the law to wisdom. Because Jesus responds with, can you just tell me On the Sabbath, is it better to do good or to do evil? You see the supremacy of that? He says, if your donkey fell in a ditch, wouldn't you get it out? Like, where is the spirit? In in the time of Paul, people are worried about, oh, can we eat that with that? So it's Christians trying to be together, but there's this meat that was sacrificed potentially to an idol. I don't know. They used to be Jewish. I'm not Jewish. Can I eat? Can we even meet together? Is this even going to work? Is this even going to work, right? They've pulled their filing cabinet. They have their laws and their laws in an inferior way. It's not an evil way. It's a way that the laws can never fully attain the goal. 
To which Paul says, listen, here's the spirit. If you, in all your settings, made yourself and your own personal interests small, and you made their welfare and their good big, you would do the right thing. He says, if meat gets in the way, I'll never eat meat again. You see the supremacy of wisdom? This is another way, and we'll end with this one. Jesus says something like this one day. He says, you've heard it. It was written, thou shalt not murder. But I say, don't even hate in your heart. Don't foster anger. Christ is doing, what is Christ is calling us to in the, in the spirit? To be free of the law is not to be free from the law like we've flicked it off our hand and we've left it behind, but to be free from the law which in, in a way that a, a good teacher now can finally teach or a good doctor now can finally practice. You and the Holy Spirit are now at last fully able to act like God. And that's what wisdom does. Let's go ahead and pray. And as you're bowing your heads, this is the challenge I want, I want to give you to those of you who are in Christ. I want to challenge you with, I want you to find or think about the laws or the rules of the Bible that you want to let go of. And I want, you, I want to challenge you. Are, do you want to let go of them so that they don't bother you anymore? Or do you want to let go of them because the Spirit wants you to rise above them? Because one is moving forward and the other is falling backwards. And if you're not in the faith, if, if Christianity is not for you, this would be my, my, as I pray, this is just what I want to put in your lap, is where are you going to go to find find this wisdom? Certainly, certainly a full life in the Lord. Full life is more than the culmination of a bunch of fortune cookies or adages or wise sayings. It's my hope that you find this in Christ. Let's pray, Lord, we come to you. We ask, we ask that in your spirit you make us wise. First of all, Lord, wise to salvation. That we'd see that by ourselves we... We have no hope that we do sin and that we cannot atone for our own sins. We cannot live a, a, a Tuesday good enough to make up for Monday. So I pray, Lord, wisdom unto salvation. And then I pray also, Lord, that the wisdom you give us is obedient. It's not seeking to run away from the laws, but to understand them and to rise above them. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.